Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his teaching, Taking Control of Your Thought Life. All right, praise the Lord. This morning we're going to talk about taking control of your thought life. And it'll be a two-part series ending next Sunday. First of all, I want to acknowledge Pastor Eddie Turner of Family Worship Center, Nashville, Tennessee, for his inspiration, for his amazing testimony, and for the stats I'll be using in the first portion of this message. Let me begin by saying there is no area of life that is more potentially constructive or more potentially destructive than the realm of our thoughts in our imaginations. Let me show you that in the Word. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. This will be the King James Version. It's simply the best way of saying this, in my opinion. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So what this verse is saying is that we as spirit beings do not war with our natural human bodies flesh against flesh. No, our warfare is in the spiritual realm. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, we wield weapons that are mighty through God, spiritual weapons that have the ability to pull down strongholds. Well, what kind of strongholds are we talking about? Verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to read that again. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we're talking about strongholds or systems of thought that come against us in the spirit realm that primarily manifest themselves as thoughts in our minds that are contrary to the Word and to the thoughts of God towards us. Amen. But the Apostle Paul makes it clear that we have spiritual weapons available to us that can pull down these strongholds and systems of thought and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It seems daunting. It seems impossible when you consider the number of thoughts that pass through our minds in a single day. But God wouldn't ask us to do something if He hadn't already given us the ability to do it. Therefore, if we train and disciple ourselves, we have the ability to win the battle that is raging in our minds. Therefore, if we train and discipline ourselves, we have the ability to win the battle that is raging in our minds. It's a battle we all have to face. There's no getting around it. But it's a battle that we can win. Let me show you that in the Word. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 6, New King James Version. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or fleshly minded is death, 
but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Amen. So to be fleshly minded, your thoughts will eventually produce death in your life. But if you're spiritually minded, your thoughts will produce life and peace. Amen. Not just your thoughts, but also your words and your actions, if they are fleshly minded, they will produce death. If you are spiritually minded, they will produce life and peace. And I choose life and peace over death. Amen. So as we see in this scripture, it can be done, but it does take discipline and it does take determination to set our minds on the things of the Spirit on a consistent basis. You know, the enemy's primary attack strategy is to work through the realm of our thought life. Rarely does he come at us with a full-on frontal attack like a daylight robbery of a bank that is right across the street from the police station. He doesn't normally sit next to you in church and announce to you, hey, I'm the devil, I'm here to discourage you, I've come to tempt you, I've come to weaken your resolve so that you can throw in the towel and give up your calling, amen. He doesn't do that. I'm not amen in that, I'm amen in the fact that he doesn't do it that way. No, he's more cunning than that. He's more subtle than that. He's more patient than that. Genesis 3.1 says that the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve was more cunning and more subtle than all the beasts of the field. You know, bottom line is this. Most of the time, the enemy's attack begins by planting a single thought into your mind. A thought that is contrary to the Word of God or a half-truth or contrary to what you know in your spirit to be true for your life. And that thought if you meditate on it long enough, will progress into a scenario or an imagination that if left unchecked will turn into a powerful stronghold in your mind. So why does the enemy wage warfare in our minds in the realm of our thoughts and imaginations? Well, we've already talked about it. He uses deception and he uses subtlety and he's very cunning and clever. And He can get you to think His thoughts and be in agreement with Him. It's the only weapon He has, so it is His weapon of choice. He knows that if He can control your thinking, if He can get you to agree with Him, then He can negatively influence your direction and your destiny. But if you control your thought life, you can stay in agreement with God and positively influence your direction and your destiny. You know, tennis is a physical and a mental game. Trisha and I are big tennis fans, and over the years through watching the Tennis Channel and following all the major tennis tournaments, we have gotten to know all the top players in the world. And one of the things we've noticed is that many of these highly trained athletes have all the necessary skills, all the talent, even some have the perfect physique to win big in the sport of tennis. But they have never learned to master the mental aspect of the game. Consequently, they have limited success compared to those who have mastered both the physical and the mental aspects of the game of tennis. 
They struggle with self-doubt, having difficulty putting their mistakes behind them, and they are absolutely crushed when they lose rather than learning from their mistakes to better prepare for their next opponent. So just like in the sport of tennis, the way we think, our mental attitude can positively or negatively affect the direction and the destiny of our lives. So the number of thoughts processed by the average person in a single day is absolutely staggering. Medical science has shown us that the average person processes 50 to 60,000 thoughts in a single day. If you figure that there are 86,400 seconds in a single day, and you do the math, and I did the math, then an average person processes an individual thought every 1.4 seconds. Now here's the kicker. Research has shown that 90% of those thoughts are repetitive in nature. That means 54,000 of our individual thoughts daily are essentially about the same thing. Talk about thinking about the same thoughts over and over and over again. You know, we ask ourselves the question when we hear about mass shootings or the moral failings of our leaders, how could a person take a backpack full of ammo and an assault rifle and go into a school and shoot up a bunch of innocent kids? How could they do such a thing? Or how could a godly man, a preacher of the gospel with a beautiful wife and family, how could he throw it all away over a tawdry, adulterous affair with another woman? How could they do such things? Well, because they have allowed evil thoughts to fester in their minds thousands of times a day, day after day, week after week, month after month, even year after year, until those thoughts produce evil actions that a person in their right mind would never do. So what you think really does matter. Our thoughts can agree with God's thoughts, or our thoughts can agree with the enemy's thoughts. They can produce godly action, or they can produce evil action. Simply put, if we don't take control of our thought lives, eventually our thought lives will take control of us. Let me show you that in the Word. Matthew 15, verse 17 through 19, New King James Version. This is Jesus speaking. He's in a discussion with the Pharisees about the tradition that they have uh, created in which you have to wash your hands uh, thoroughly before you eat a meal. And evidently Jesus did not do that. And they were questioning him about his stand on the tradition of the Jews. So Jesus says in verse 17, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? Let me break that down for you. I think Jesus was saying it's okay if a little dirt goes into your mouth. Eventually, it's going to come out the other end and it's not going to hurt you. Verse 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. 
and they defile a man. Verse 19, for out of the heart, listen to this, proceed evil thoughts. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Notice that all these evil things listed in this last verse here are preceded by evil thoughts. So what Jesus is saying is that those evil thoughts, if left unchecked, they grow into scenarios which become imaginations which over time produce wicked and evil action. He even brings the dimension of our voice, our mouths, what we say into the equation. What comes out of our minds, which are part of our soul, is important, but what comes out of our mouths is important too. Not only do our thoughts precede evil actions, but many times our words do too. Amen. I'll tell you a real quick story. Back when I was growing up in Mount Airy, North Carolina, my family and I, we went to uh, Trinity Episcopal Church on Main Street in Old Mount Airy. And it was a traditional type of church. The pastor would read from the Old Testament, then he would read from the New Testament, and he would give a sermon. And I remember sitting with my mom and my two brothers, and my brother Terry was to my right, and right in the middle of the sermon when you could not hear a pin drop in the place, my brother reached over and pinched my thigh and took a hunk out of my thigh, and I replied with a "woo." And of course, the pastor looked at me, and every other person in the church looked at me, and I turned on my brother, and I whispered under my breath, when I catch you after church, I'm going to kill you. Now, after church was over, it was the tradition, as it is in many churches, to line up, to shake hands with the pastor before you went to the parking lot and got in your car and went home. Well, I was right there behind my brother. I knew he was going to hightail it, and I was going to stay as close to him as I possibly could because I was going to wreak my revenge on him. He shook hands with the pastor. I hurriedly shook hands with the pastor, and then we both bolted out the gate to the church and down Main Street. It took me about 50 yards to catch him, but when I did, I started wailing on him, and my mama they tell me she was crying in front of the pastor. I can't believe my boys are fighting on Main Street. You know, I was like in the eighth grade. And I believe my brother was in the seventh grade. We were just irresponsible little boys. I ended up breaking my hand in three places because of my revenge motive. My point of the story is sometimes it's what we think, but many times it's what we say that results in evil actions. Now, I told my brother I was going to kill him. And I meant that metaphorically because I wouldn't murder my own brother, but I sure would give him the whooping that he deserved. Amen. So anyway, so what's the answer? What's the answer to controlling evil thoughts that come and go into your mind? And they will come. Whether they come internally or externally, evil thoughts will come to you. Everybody's familiar with this. Internal, I call them internal thoughts or because of something you watched, you listened to, something you read that you shouldn't have. 
and it produces imaginations and sometimes dreams that are not godly in your life. I call that internal evil actions, and those need to be repented of. Lord, forgive me. I watched that movie. I knew I shouldn't have watched it, and it produced this thought pattern in my life. I repent of it. I loose it from my soul, and I bind pure and lovely thoughts, true, honest, and just thoughts, thoughts of uh, virtue, thoughts of praise, and thoughts of a good report. Then the other are external thoughts. These are thoughts planted by demonic spirits into your brain, and they just come out of left field. You haven't been thinking anything along these lines for weeks or even months or even years, and then an evil thought will come into your mind. What about this or what about that? Well, then you don't have to repent for that. You just say in the name of Jesus, I refuse that thought. I rebuke that thought. Depart from me, you lying devil, in the name of Jesus. Do you see the difference between dealing with internal thoughts and external thoughts? In both cases, you have to learn to renew your mind. We have to renew our minds to the Word of God so that we have an answer when evil thoughts come. So that our thinking lines up with what God thinks about us and our words line up with what God says about us. And in order to do that, we'll have to deal with our soul. And to show you what I mean by that, we need to do a real quick review of spirit soul, and body. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, New King James Version. Paul says to the Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify or set you apart, sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this passage, we learn that we are made as a three-part being. And there are three different Greek words used to describe our three-part nature, spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit, that word there comes from the Greek word pneuma, which means breath or life. And it's that part of us that was God breathed into us when we were conceived. And that part of us that got us born again when we got born again. Amen. Our soul comes from the Greek word Suke, and if you look at it actually in the English way of pronunciating that word, it would, uh, it would be psyche. And it's the word that we get our English word for psychology from, which is the study of the mind, the will, the emotions, our personality. So our soul is exactly that. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our personalities. Our bodies, the Greek word there is the Greek word soma, are the earth suits that we live in while we're here on this planet. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I look at it this way. To live on the earth, you have to have an earth suit to live in. Amen. All right, I'm going to read you a scripture passage and unpack it a bit to zero in what it means to renew your mind. To give you a more complete picture of what I mean when I say that, what the Bible means when it says that, and why it's so important. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 in the NIV version. Paul is telling the Romans, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice that there are only two of our three parts that are mentioned in this passage. The body is found in verse 1, and the mind or the soul is found in verse 2. The spirit man is conspicuously missing. That's because if you're born again, the Bible says you are a new creation on the inside. Your spirit man is brand new and as perfect and holy as Jesus himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God. In other words, in your inner man, in your spirit man, everything is now made of God parts. Amen. That's the way I think about it. Ephesians 4.24 says, We've been created in true righteousness and holiness just like God. I know it's hard to believe, but there is a perfect person living on the inside of you. The challenge of the Christian life, I've said this many times, is to get what's inside of you to show up on the outside of you, in your spirit, soul, and your body. Amen. So the body is mentioned because you have to offer it up as a sacrifice to God, dedicate it to Him. But the key to doing that is renewing your mind. Your mind has to be renewed because your soul acts as a middleman between the spirit and the body or the flesh, as the Scripture often says. If the soul and the body team up together, they will pursue the things of the flesh and pull you away from the influence of your spirit man. But if the soul and the spirit team up together, they will pursue the things of the spirit and pull you away from the influence of your body. Either way you go, positive or negative, it's two against one and an easy battle to win. So the one that we want to happen is two against one. Spirit and soul get combined together and they deny the fleshly desires that are common to us all. Amen. They put the body under in subjection. So that's why it's vital that we renew our minds to the Word and to the ways of God because our spiritual life depends upon it. Let me share real quickly an encounter that I had way back in 1989 that brought to life this whole concept of spirit, soul, and body for me. Trisha and I were living in Louisiana. We had two of our little girls that were born already. They were toddlers. I was going to grad school at the time, and I was up late in my study reviewing all the math I had forgotten since I graduated from NC State. Suddenly, I felt compelled to rest my head on my hands as I sat at my desk. And when I did, I went into a trance. Now, don't pounce on me for using that word because it's used five times in the Old and the New Testament. It simply means it is condition where you're spiritually aware, but your physical senses are in, uh, they're just not active. I was immediately aware that an audible voice was speaking to me, but at first I couldn't make out who it was. 
you know, this is the gist of what this person was saying to me in the third person plural. I'll explain later why that's so important. And he was saying it to me over and over and over again, like lecturing me, like making the point three or four different times in different wording. And it was very eloquent. It was very, very flowing out. And it basically, but my paraphrase, my capture of all those things he said to me uh, goes something like this. We must resist the desires of the flesh, follow God's word and follow the leading of his spirit. If we are to fulfill the plan of God for our life. Anyway, as I was listening to this voice, I was suddenly stunned as I realized it was my own voice speaking to me. I knew I was in a trance. My physical senses were suspended and my lips were not moving. Then suddenly I was given the revelation that it was the voice of my human spirit exhorting my soul to team up with him against the desires of the flesh or the desires of the body so that, quote unquote, we could live a life that was pleasing to God so that we could fulfill the plan of God for our life. When I came out of the trance, I asked the Lord, what exactly was that all about? And sometime later, he led me to Genesis 1.26, where the voice of God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice that third person plural is used by God the Father as he addresses the other two parts of his three-part being, God the Word and God the Holy Spirit. Exactly the same way my spirit man did when he was addressing my soul. Third person plural. It was a powerful confirmation to me that the encounter, although unusual, was valid and given to me by God. In essence, God was telling me that he made me in three parts just like him. And it was time to learn how to renew my mind so that it would always team up with my spirit, and so that we could stay on track with him. I've never forgotten this amazing encounter, and it's one of the reasons that spirit, soul, and body resonate so powerfully with me. And I love to teach it as often as the occasion arises, like it did when I began this series. Well, that about wraps it up for part one. I know it was short, but I believe the message this morning packed a punch and gave you some things to think about this week. We'll continue with part two of taking control of your thought life next week. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's message taking control of your thought life. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.